I want you to open up to Acts chapter 6. That's where we're going to start. I know we're in 1 Timothy, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 to begin things off. Let me have you think of this for a second. You are most like Jesus when you are. Just kind of ponder that. Like, what comes to mind with that? Uh, Sometimes, um, and maybe especially sitting in this setting inside of a church, you might think I'm most like Jesus when I'm praying. Maybe you think I'm most like Jesus when I'm sharing the gospel with someone or teaching someone. Jesus was a carpenter, so maybe you think I'm most like Jesus when I'm in the workshop and I'm working with my hands. How about when you value people over things? I think those are all really, really good answers, but I think there's a really uh, sort of answer that encapsulates maybe all of that, and it may be this. I'm most like Jesus when I serve. I am most like Jesus when I am serving. And it's not just that you're serving, because isn't it possible to serve in a lot of different ways? It's important that we serve like Jesus. Well, how did Jesus serve? Think of this. When he served someone else, I might be serving my, my friend Debbie here. He wasn't wanting anything from that other person. It was totally for that person. And when Jesus served, he was completely secure in his Father's love. So ponder this. When Jesus served, he served completely for other people. And he served not needing anything from them or trying to earn favor with his Father. In a word, I would say it this way. It was pure. There was nothing else mixed in when Jesus served was serving. So Jesus, think of these terms we use for him, our Lord, our teacher, our example, our leader, summed it up really well when he said this, I came not to be served, but to what? But to serve. Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, our example, Jesus, the leader, capital L, if there ever was one, came not to be served, but to serve. So, there is our example for any office or title you will ever hold in any New Testament honoring church. There it is. You want to rise to leadership, it means you're going to rise to service, to pure service. That's the example. Here's where we are in 1 Timothy right now. And I know I said Acts 6, we're going to start there. But 1 Timothy chapter 3 has been concerning itself with the following question. Who leads and who says who leads? Man, this was me and my buddies growing up. This was some of the struggle. Who made you the leader? This was me and my three brothers. Who says? Why do you get to say that? So in a church family, it's really important to ask these questions. Who leads and who says who gets to lead? That's what 1 Timothy 3 is looking at and trying to answer. Here is the short answer to that. We look to our leader, capital L, Jesus, for his instructions and modeling. And we've been using these terms of there are fences and there are freedoms given within church governance. 
like a lot of other things, frankly, how to live a holy life. There are very clear fences thus far and no further. That's a fence. But then there's loads of freedom within a fenced-in. Imagine a fenced-in field and playground for elementary students. We can all visualize that. There are fences and there's freedom within that. So we look at the fences and freedom, which we're looking at in 1 Timothy 3, and then we gladly submit to Jesus' leadership. How do we do that? We do. We obey. We don't just give mental assent. We don't just nod. We don't just take some notes. We live out the implications of what he's teaching. So last week we looked at elders and their qualifications. And right, it was, uh, it was respect your elders, but really the text is saying something far different. It's elders be respectable. Elders be respectable. Now this week, uh, we are looking at deacons. And I'm just calling it serve your servants. Let me tell you the little play on word right up front so you get it. Anyone know what the word deacon means? Take a guess by looking at the screen. It means to serve in the verb form. It means a servant in the noun form. That's it. So little fun play on words. You'll kind of see that woven throughout. But the text is really saying in your role as servant, serve. Now, again, it's early on a Sunday morning. I get this. So let me just slow this down for my own brain. That sounds like, wait, what? In your role as servant, serve. Go back to the example of Jesus. There's lots of ways to serve. You can serve wanting approval from others. You're such a servant. Oh, that James, he's such a servant. And that feeds something in in us, in our human pride, that we go, oh, I love being called that. I can never, ever reveal that I love being called that. But we're going to look at the heart and character of the servant. So in your service, really serve. Beyond that, those being served by servers look to serve them. There's a cycle of service going on. As someone comes and tries to serve you, look to be a servant to them. There's a great little phrase you ought to lock in your mind from the scriptures. Outdo one another. And all the driven type A people in Silicon Valley who are competitive sports nuts said, Amen! You're going down, bro. Outdo one another. In what? In showing honor. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of a funny image, but I've had this image of people going to church and they're like opening the door like, after you. The other one's like, no, really, after you, after you. And no one ever comes to church. We all want to park in the very furthest spot back. We all want to have last place to give preference to other people. That ought to be a a joyful picture of what it looks like and feels like to come to church. Now, how do you serve those who are serving you? Raise your hand if you've ever worked in the food service industry, coffee, uh, customer service, anything like that. Raise your hand. Okay. Um, how, how did people who you served serve you? Can you think of it? Sadie is chuckling under her mask back there. You're like, I can't think of a single time anyone I was trying to serve served me. That's why I quit. <laughs> it was too hard. Jenny, you were, a, you were a waitress before. You served people. Any thoughts? I just said when they were kind. When they were kind, exactly. So we can, we can serve our servants, our waiters, our waitresses, our baristas, by being kind, right? How about this? 
Okay, even under a mask, you can almost kind of tell I'm smiling. Just a smile, right? Just treating the person like a person. Um, I think the short answer is just making it a joy to serve you. What if this cycle of service was completed by the servants serving and the people being served just thought, how can we make it a joy to be served? Part of, part of that is receiving service. Receiving serving. So actually there's a time to hold the door open and say, no, no, really after you. But there's a moment to say, thank you so much. And to walk through the door and receive being served. It's a whole other side sermon, but there's a weird little inherent pride to one who can give and give and give and give and give and never receive. They're sort of in this power struggle of like, no, 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 I'm the giver in this relationship. So to both give and receive is a beautiful picture of the Christian church and the family of God. My daughter Tegan starts Chick-fil-A this week, right over here at Blossom Hill. And I asked her in her, yeah, the loudest applause I may get is when I mentioned Chick-fil-A. Um, so I asked her this. Yeah, it's not open, so you have to go tomorrow. I asked her this. I said, in your, um, in your interview, did you have to audition how you say my pleasure? Because I'm thinking, like, if I'm interviewing someone for Chick-fil-A, uh, I'm going to ask them their different things, but then I'm going to say, um, hey, Chris, you want a job at this, at this restaurant? You know that every worker, after you say anything, says... My pleasure. There it is. We have an employee in the very back doing it. So I'm like, did they audition you for that? Because if I was interviewing for the job, I'd like, all right, say my pleasure. And they're all, my pleasure? You're like, no, it's not a question. Say it again with more joy. Uh, my pleasure. No, don't be timid. Like, really feel it in your bones. Try it again. My pleasure. There it is. You're hired. That's how I would hire. That's why I'm not the hire person there. But how do you make it so that a Chick-fil-A employee is not tempted to lie? When you're in the Chick-fil-A establishment, you make it a joy for the servers in that restaurant. Make sense? So here's the thing, church. We get to practice this, I think, every day of the year, all week long, and that it culminates in Sunday. So that it is not a strange thing in any way, shape, or form to serve those who serve you. Most of us have people serving us in some way, shape, or form much of the time through our day. So we get to practice, not today, but tomorrow at Chick-fil-A, when someone says, my pleasure, you go, man, what can I do? What tiny, small, subtle thing, a tiny act of kindness, what can I do to make that really come from the heart? So deacons are servants, um, and and the, the verb form is to serve. Context. Timothy is being written to by Paul. Paul's an older pastor. He's writing very specifically to a very specific church. Where's the church? Ephesus. We looked at this last week, but there's some urgency going on in Ephesus. It's a little bit of a church in crisis. Remember, Paul didn't use a lot of flowery flowery language. He's a very close personal friend of Timothy, his true son in the faith, and yet there's no greeting, there's no nothing. He's like, I, Paul, an apostle, by the command of the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you these things. He's doing it because false teachers have come in, just as he predicted in Acts chapter 20. They've come in and they're ravaging the church. So he's laying out some very clear specifics. Here's who gets to lead. These are the kinds of men you are to install as elders in the church. Nothing affects family 
in the home or at church like leadership. Parents, one of the unique responsibilities we have is to set an emotional climate in our home that reflects godly character. Most often, every argument leads to two people being wrong on some percentage, right? Let's say that you could somehow, objectively, in your home, nail the percentage that you were wrong. Dad, I call to you first. If you were 2% wrong, by the way, if you're trying to figure out the percentage, you probably still have some hard work on repentance to do, right? But let's say somehow you're 2% wrong. Who takes the lead in establishing sorrowful repentance and coming back to make restoration and relationship? The dad does. The husband does. That's the call. Now, it's a great thing and a humbling thing when my kids take the initiative and I go, yeah, I was kind of holding on to my own pride. I wasn't ready yet to do that. I bring that up because leadership in the home makes a world of difference. Leadership in the church makes a world of difference. That's why the Bible speaks to it. We talk regularly about what we're doing as a church, what it means to be a church, and where we're going. Why? Because we need reminding. We looked last week at, we're just a community of, of missionaries. That's, that, that's really a, a short answer to what we are. Here's our theme kind of for community groups this season is bring it in, right? Imagine a sports team coming in. Bring it in, guys. Sports teams bring it in at practice. Hey, good practice today. Let's remember to work on this, this, and this. Big game tomorrow. Sports teams bring this in in football today. Every team will bring this in every single play. They will gather in a huddle. We regularly, as Christians around Neighborhood Bible Church, gather in community groups, and we have this idea of looking in each other in the eyes once a week, reminding one another of who we are in Christ, reminding what's really important. What are we actually doing here? What's actually happening in December? What are we contemplating? What are we prepping for? What are we really celebrating? Man, gifts under the tree can look really identical from home to home to home. But in our neighborhoods, there ought to be something distinctly Christian about why there are gifts under the tree and what they point to and how it folds into this giant, bigger picture. So today is deacons. I want to be clarifying terms because it's really important to think on these things. First of all, think about this. How about the frequency and clarity around deacons? Rob and I talk every single week or whoever's leading worship and I just say, hey, here's the text and what I kind of joke with Rob. I'm like, pull all the songs you have on deacons and then we're good. Just, just do that. Anyone know any deacon songs? Yeah, neither did Rob. (laughs) So in one way you go, well, I don't really know what those are, but if the word just means servant, serve. Oh, okay. I got it. Like there's a big worship theme. There's a lot of that in the Bible. We can kind of draw from that. If you're like most people, you have heard way less about deacons than you have about elders, pastors, shepherds, overseers. Why is that? Quite simply, because there's way less about deacons written about both the office and the actual work they're supposed to be doing than there is about elder, pastor, overseer, shepherd. Just by way of review, I'm using overseer, elder, pastor, shepherd, because those four titles show up in the New Testament. They all have nuanced meanings, but they are interchangeable to one office. 
we most often around this church land on elder or pastor. They really are the same function. And at this church, we have seven men who are elders. Three of them are paid. Four of them are unpaid. All of them do what the scriptures say to do. All of them are shepherds. All of them are able to teach. All of them are managing their home well. All of them are men of integrity. All of them do the work of pastoring. So what about deacons? The word deacon is just a transliteration of a Greek word rather than a translation of a Greek word. Huh? What did he just say? What does that mean? Transliteration instead of a translation. It means this. They just took the Greek word and sort of like morphed it into English. Baptize is another one of those. Baptize is just a Greek word, baptizo, that like like forced its way into English. And we just go, we don't really have a decent translation. We'll just call it baptism or to baptize. Some of your great-grandparents came from another country, and they Americanized their name. I loved working with international students at Valley, and I would, you know, we would meet someone who has a really, really, really thick accent from some part of China, and I ask what her name is, and it's Jane. Jane? <laughs> and I always go, no, 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 what's your Chinese name? Oh, and her face would light up, and she would tell me her Chinese name. She wouldn't say her Chinese name because it was too hard for Americans to pronounce it, remember it. They'd always kind of butcher it. So she just went with Jane. So then I got to asking, why, why did you pick that name? And it was so funny. They all had a reason uh, you know, of, of, of who and why they, they picked that name. That's all this is. It's sort of an Americanized name. It's just an English, Englishized name of the Greek word for deacon. Here's, the, here's why I want to show you this, though. This gets a little technical, and then we'll kind of move on, okay? In only three of 29 occurrences of the noun form, in the New Testament translated deacon, two of the three times show up in our text today. So what I want to highlight for you is this is the go-to text for a description of who is supposed to be the office of deacon in the whole Bible. Got it? And we're going to look at some translation challenges later, but here's a big idea. There's a, there's a, um, a confirmed distinction between two offices. Last week, Paul writes to Timothy, elders in the church must be Remember the requirements? And we went through those. And then he says today, likewise, deacons must be. So the literal word means, likewise, servants must be. But then it goes on this list of requirements, just like elders. So it looks really clearly like there's a distinction of offices in the New Testament. Elder and deacon. But... I will say this, deacon is way less defined as to what the office is and what the job description is. So think about it in fences and freedom for a second. There's, there's a small amount of fencing and there's loads of freedom when it comes to deacons. That's why you see so much variance between churches. But the fence is really clear and it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's it in the whole scripture. So before getting to the qualifications of deacon, I want to show you what I think is the only really clear picture of an appointment of saying these are deacons, and it's found in Acts 6. That's why I have you in Acts 6 
this morning. This sort of a picture of, uh, of what deacons are supposed to be doing. So we're going to take a journey into a church leader's life and sort of look at what it looks like to do church behind the scenes. This is like going behind the scenes at Disneyland with your employee friend at Disneyland. And you get to see sort of behind the scenes a little bit. Here we go. Acts chapter 6 verse 1 says this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Pause. This is a picture of a growing church. As a family grows and matures, needs and issues are greater in number and greater in complexity. Parents of teenagers in this church, parents of young adults in this church, you ought to be mentoring those who have toddlers in this church. Because they ought to look on your face and go, man, they look like they, look like they long for the days when the biggest concern about their children was that they not eat the apple remote. That was the biggest concern. And now the stress on their face, the, the, the holes in their knees as they pray and cry out to God for their 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 21-year-old, 13-year-old, whatever it might be. So do you see that? As, as kids grow, it gets more complex. As the number of kids grow, it, it, it gets more, more needy. And, and that's just true of a church as well. The moment you start to grow, there's greater needs and greater complexity needs. Now, what do good leaders do? They respond. Good leaders act. They move in and they deal with it. Verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. If you write in your Bible, circle in your Bible, whatever, underline this, whom we will appoint to this duty. There's an appointment, there's a naming of specific people to some specific task that has arisen within the church family. Do you see that? So you want to know what it's like to lead in the church? Well, what happened to this young church in chapter 5? Here's what happened. People are hugely generous. They are giving sacrificially until it hurts so that no one will lack anything. There is joy. There is wonder. There is celebration. There's tears. Let me tell you fun kinds of staff meetings. Fun kinds of Monday staff meetings are after chapter 5 in the book of Acts. You're like, man, isn't God good? Isn't it so awesome to be on a church staff? Look at what our people are doing. Who does this? I'm telling you, the reason I'm genuinely smiling up here as a pastor, I get a front row seat to a lot of these kinds of things. Part of what I try to do on a Sunday is just communicate. God's at work. God's moving. God's doing really, really incredible things. It's so fun. But then this guy by the name of Ananias and his wife Sapphira show up, and they join in on the worshipful giving, but it's satanic and selfish. What do they do? They sell some property. They lie to themselves. They lie to the leaders, which is equated to lying to the Holy Spirit. They keep back part of the price. They lie to the whole community. And 
God judges them in the form of death on the spot. (laughs) That's next week's staff meeting. Right? Like, that's also staff meeting, is you go from like the highs to the lows, and you're talking like security concerns in the church. What happens when it's God killing people? I don't think we allow God, like, not in the building. He gets to do whatever he wants. Those are complex things. This is the pendulum of life in the community of God. You never know what, in fact, one time, Ben Palm, Ben was in seminary, and uh, Ben goes, he wanted to interview me. He said, hey, what's, what's, a, what, what's, a day, what's a day in the life of a pastor like? And I'm like, which day? Every day is full of surprises because you people are surprising. That's it. You work with people. You will just trip out. You go, I never imagined I'd be doing this today. And it can be the most meaningless, mundane thing in the whole world. I'm like, this is, I'm sure, nowhere in my job description. Or it could be this mountaintop thing going, no way do I get to be doing this today. Can't believe it. It's an adventurous ride. Back to the book of Acts. What's not good? What's not good according to the 12 apostles is this, skimping or skipping preaching. Don't skip on the spiritual food. To stop feeding you spiritually so you can keep being fed physically is sure death to a church. But we still need to meet physical needs. We know that very plainly and evidently from all of Scripture. Enter the deacon. Right? There you go. There's a picture of why the deacon is so vital to this. Churches go astray when because their pastors are supposed to kind of do it all, they stop really sitting in the word and wrestling with the word and saying, God, what does this mean? And God, help me. I can't do this. And feeding the flock well. Because neglecting the word ministry is bad, and neglecting deed ministry is bad, and because people have limited capacity, what is good is to have a team. What is good is to have more people around you. It's good to have various kinds of leaders in the church. I didn't put it in your notes, but jot down Romans 15, 18. Romans 15, 18. Paul writes this, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Listen to this, by word and by deed. I'm going to show you, I think, three scriptures today that pair word and deed, word and deed, word and deed. But really, it's all through Jesus' ministry. It's all through the scriptures. There are word needs And there are deed needs. And they're both vital to the life of the church. All right, so if 1 Timothy 3 is the go-to passage in all of the Bible of what is a deacon supposed to be, this is probably the go-to passage, Acts chapter 6, of what a deacon is doing. And it's just a single example. If every church made all of their uh, deacons in their church waiters they would miss the point of Acts chapter 6. The point is not to serve tables specifically. What's their role here? Very specifically, it was to serve tables. It was to distribute. And if you look at that, just on the surface, first read, you might go, why on earth 
Are there special qualifications need for the waiters? Does that make any sense? Why would they need to be full of the Holy Spirit? Why would they need to be such quality and tested people of God? Well, it's because the task is to serve tables, yes, but it's more. What's the argument between the Hellenists and the Hebrews? That's just kind of Gentiles and Jews. What's the argument? It's in fairness, equality, right? So what actually the role of these deacons and the why they need to have this proven character is this. Resources are being distributed. What resources specifically in Acts chapter 6? Food. And we know that food does not grow on trees. Well, actually, some food grows on trees. So food grows on trees, but not all food. Some of the food comes from people selling their proceeds of things, giving it to the leaders of the church, and having that disseminate to make sure no one goes hungry. So all of a sudden now, these deacons are being entrusted with resources in the church. Money. Uh, In our context and setting, all kinds of material goods. And so again, now all of a sudden we see that character needs to come up. These were named servants who needed to be trustworthy, wise, fair, and faithful. Let me wrap up in Acts 6 and then we're going to get to 1 Timothy 3. Look at verse 4. The 12 apostles go on to explain further. These are the elders of the church. But we distinction between the named people who are going to serve, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose, they named the seven people, verse 6. These were set before the apostles, they prayed, laid hands on them, and what was the result? Verse 7 is the result of this action. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's a great line. Jewish people who, who were teaching that Jesus was not the Messiah, the leaders in that church are becoming Christians and saying, oops, we made a mistake. We're the criminals that we just sang about. We're the liars. We found ourselves uh, lying before God, working against God. We humbly repent, and God's made us now Christians, part of the community. Super beautiful picture. All right, so there's the qualification. Jump over to 1 Timothy 3 now, okay? This is our text for the morning. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and unlike last week, I'm not going to walk through each of these qualifications. Instead, I'm going to follow the lead of one of the commentators this week. I loved how he did it. He just said, what are the differences and what are the similarities to the qualifications of elder and deacon? Okay? So some of this may feel a little bit like a part two. Um, uh, as, I, as I refer back to last week, and you, if you didn't hear that, go back and take a listen to that. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Talking about elders' requirements, and then he says this in the flow of it. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers but sober-minded, faithful in all things." Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith 
that is in Christ Jesus. So what are some of the similarities? Uh, Let me just say it this way. For both elders and deacons, home is the training ground and the proving ground and the fountain for serving in the church. If you ever get a sense that the leadership of any church is pouring and giving and well-known and has a great reputation, but their own spouse and children are shriveling up relationally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, something's way off. The fountain for life serving the the church family is the home family. This comes from B, uh, the woman, uh, a a one-woman man, sort of the same language from before, and manage your household well. There are some of the character traits, uh, again, that have sort of nuanced differences, but they amount to the same thing. So dignified, instead of for elders, it was above reproach. Remember that? Blameless, above reproach, dignified, respectable. These are sort of the nuanced things. Um, but, but bottom line is uh, they must have proven character, right? Um, thirdly, they must not abuse. There's some things stated in the negative, just like for elders. They must not abuse speech, money, or alcohol. What you ought to do with the deacons of the church is go, yeah, that, that person has a reputation of clean living. There's nothing really in that person's life that you go, huh? That person's serving in the church in some official title? Just kind of common sense stuff. But those are really important, not to abuse speech, money, or alcohol. Now, when you, when you look at this list, just like the elders one, honestly, there ought to be sort of something in you that says, isn't this just discipleship? Isn't this just what it means to be a Christian? The answer is yes. That's it. Just go be a Christian, and then you're qualified. That kind of could be said. And just like Rob prayed right here a moment ago, apart from being utterly changed from the inside out, there's no hope in doing any of this stuff. We would just fundamentally fall apart on lap one. So there's some similarities. How about some differences? Here are some differences. Verse 9 says this, they must hold to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. Shouldn't elders do that too? Probably, yes. But it says this specifically for elders. Why? First of all, here's what I think that means. It must be evident that they hold to the gospel. We're going to look all next week about the mystery revealed. So mystery is not, no one can know. Mystery is a revealed secret. We do this with our kids all the time. We actually did this this week. It just sort of came up. But um, Kaya, how many fingers am I holding behind my back? You have no idea. You would guess. What do you do? What did you just say? Okay, you happen to get it right. She said three, mumbling on her thing. Kaya, how many fingers am I holding up? Okay, you have no idea unless you ask your dad. And if I say seven, how many fingers am I holding up? Your dad says there's seven fingers back here. How many fingers am I holding up, Kaya? (laughs) Kaya doesn't do great under pressure, but she's an amazing person. Seven! The reason Kaya said seven is because she trusts her dad. You trust the word of the one revealing, you're like, I know it every single time. Every single time, I can know the answer. Why? That's called revelation, right? So that's the scriptures to us. We'd have no idea the character and nature of God. We'd have no idea of our purpose. We have no idea of our limitations and what would tempt us and what's going to kill us 20 miles down the road unless we're told. That's revelation. All right, now we're on to a different sermon also. I don't know how I keep doing this. Um, That's the mystery, the revealed secret. Now, why does Paul do this for deacons? It's not really abundantly clear. But isn't it interesting, as you take 
the book and just keep listening to this all in one setting. Sit down and read. Once in a while when you're going through a book of the Bible, just read the whole thing in context. False teachers, false teachers, false teachers, false teachers. It keeps coming up. There's false teachers here. What do false teachers fail at? This. They get off the gospel. They get off onto something else crazy. They begin in the spirit and finish in law. They act like crazy people. So maybe Paul is just saying of the deacons, this must be preeminent in their life. Paul may be countering that. Or as we've already looked at, character is needed in serving tables in Acts 6. They needed men full of the Holy Spirit because it involves a host of other decisions and judgments and character and the way you speak to people who have these needs that goes way beyond your ability to hold a towel and place a plate. It has to emanate the Spirit of Christ. Verse 10, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So, proven by passing the test. What test? Who's testing them? How long is the test? Is the test theological or practical? Is there a graduation cap and a song at the end? Like, what's the test? We have no idea. (laughs) We have no idea. What's the fence? The fence would be stated this way. They must first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons. Doesn't the principle of Jesus come to mind? He who's faithful with a little will be faithful in much. Doesn't last week's sermon come to mind? Hey, if you don't know how to manage your own household, if you're not discipling, countering, evangelizing, championing with all gentleness your own children at home, why on earth would we entrust the church to you? So there's principles there that we can see like really, really plainly. Don't put someone in a key serving role without watching them in a minor role. But we don't know what the test is. That's a giant freedom. The fence, hey, have they been tested first? Yeah. What do the tests look like? Well, in this denomination, it looks like this. In this day and age, it looks like that. In that culture, it looks like this. Loads of freedom. That's why we don't need to bicker. Don't bicker with your church buddies about those things. Those are freedoms that God's intentionally given to us. All right, verse 11. Proven spouses, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers but sober-minded, faithful in all things. All right, this is like a news bulletin. Translation problem alert. Ready? Beep, beep. Here's the translation problem. Is this servants' wives or women servants? That's the huge dilemma. Some of your translations, a translator is making decisions on how it reads. It's actually an over-translation in this passage where it says, let them serve as deacons. You could read that as, let them serve as servants. So in this passage, the, woman for, the, the word for deacon and servant is the same. So where is it talking about the act of serving, which all Christians are to do? Where is it talking about the specific office of a named, spirit-filled, tested servant? Those are challenges. Here's what I would say. The way I've studied it and read it, the way we live this out at Neighborhood Bible Church, is there's not utter clarity here where it's a very clear fence. Is he talking about the women who serve alongside male deacons? That's a huge possibility. Or mid 
requirement is he shifting over and now talking very specifically about women deacons. That's a distinct possibility because there are now some distinct things that go with that. Not slanderers, dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. Either way, the women who serve in the church, either alongside male deacons or as female deaconesses, must be these things. All right, there's differences, there's summaries. Time flies on Sunday. I'm not sure how this works. Implications, here we go. The mission of the church requires both word and deed duties. And Jesus models this over and over again. Elders are to prioritize the word, or to put it another way, spiritual bread, or to put it another way, ministry oversight. That's what elders are to give themselves to. Acts 6.4. I want to be held to responsibility to be an Acts 6-4 pastor. I give myself to prayer and ministry of the word. It flows out into all kinds of other things, but I will not give up on those things. Deacons prioritize deed, physical bread, daily service. Here's an implication for you if you name the name of Christ. All Christians are called to be servants. You don't like it? Take it up with Jesus Christ. That's his deal with you. All Christians are called to serve the church. Again, I reference you to the groom of the church. Take it up with him. So every Christian, I commission all of you. Deacon, 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 deacon. Servant, 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 servant. That's it. Every Christian is called to be a servant of the church. And by Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3, there is allowance for specially commissioned servants, deacons, who serve in an office as deacon, which, remember, means servant. I dub thee servant. Now go and deacon. Go and serve. Deacons assist the elders in the work of the church. Deacons are to be qualified people as their leaders are. Let me get to this quote because it's pretty great. This is from one of my commentaries this week. He says this, overseeing and serving, eldering and deaconing are activities to be sought humbly and prized greatly rather than offices to be pursued ambitiously and wielded selfishly. Do you want to know what ruins your last church and the reason you left, why it split, why it went down in tubes, why Christian ministries make the news? It's over this. Selfish ambition and vain conceits wielded selfishly using the position for power. I wrap up with a couple minutes I have left with positions and titles at Neighborhood Bible Church. We have a value at this church that says we don't need volunteers, we have opportunities. We don't need you to come and set up chairs for an event. By the way, we had a massive event on Friday night. Youth in the house said, amen. It was awesome. Good stuff. We had a giant women's event here last night. Someone made this place look amazing for Sunday morning church. You know who it wasn't? It wasn't me. If I did all of this, I'd be a full-time lead pastor for six months, and I'd say, see ya. That means that most service in the church is just done by regular Christians. Much of the servants of your, service of your elders and deacons are just Christians being Christians, frankly. 
But we really, this isn't just a cute little thing. This really is a thing. We have opportunities for you to serve your church. And here they are. We also happen to have some titled people. Elders and pastors, which again is the same office. Deacons, uh, or or directors, directors of ministries, and CG leaders. We do not use the term deacon, but I'll tell you who the board of deacons is, who the people are. It's directors of ministry and CG leaders. Who are they? They are qualified, spirit-filled, tested servants who tend to tangible ministries. That's who they are. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. John Giordano is a table guy. Does John Giordano serve tables? Yes. Does that mean he puts food on your table? Sometimes. But it also means he sets up the tables, tears down the tables, fixes the tables, orders new tables, chucks out the broken tables. He does all that. You know who doesn't know much about tables? Me. You know who's happy about it? Me. You know who else is happy about it? You. Because if I was in charge of tables, you'd sit down one day and it'd all fall over and you'd be mad at me. So John's a tables guy, but he also does ministry around here in the spirit of Acts 6. The standard we hold him to are the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. If he does the right deed ministry with his hands in the wrong way, he's called on it. You know why John has been at this church serving this capacity for a really long time? Because he does it in this spirit. These are the conversations we have behind the scenes. There's more going on than mere physical objects. He must carry these things out in the spirit and manner of a servant. Let me take you back to start of quarantine. Quarantine happens. You know what the elders of the church do? We gather, we pray, we seek God, and immediately we talk to our community group leaders. We say, community group leaders, check in on everyone in your group. Don't just check in on them spiritually and pray with them, but of course do that. Check in on them physically. How are they doing? Check in on them relationally. How's the tone and temperature of the home? Check on them financially. Many people just got furloughed. Many people just got wiped out. How are they doing financially? Immediately, if you were in a community group at this church, you were cared for, not by the seven elders making frantic calls, although we made a lot of calls, but by a team of people coming and working together to do the spiritual work. Make sense? That's a huge picture of that. I'll tell you this, all the time, people get needs met long before they ever reach the Benevolence Committee, long before they ever call or talk to me. I find out things all the time after the fact. That's a great, great picture of this right here. Band, why don't you come on up? There is an action for you to do, Christian. Even if you aren't aspiring to the office of elder and overseer, or if you aren't ever going to be named as a deacon. Here's number one, ponder the whole idea of serving. As a Christian, you should be thinking, what does service do? Around here, we use the word share. Sharing is a giant thing in our, in our vernacular. Serving is giving a hand. That means just jump in and do it. But serving is also raising a hand. That means you're available in your actions and available in your attitude. If you stand near someone who's doing a whole bunch of work, you're a little bit more introvert, you're a little bit more timid. You don't know if you should ask or not. But if you go like this, you don't seem very available to help, right? Like, I'm not going to go, I think that guy wants to help. That's the body language of saying, pick me. So give yourself an attitude and an action that avails yourself to serving. Think about serving in tennis, volleyball, or ping pong, right? What happens in serving? People get things moving. They just start doing things that need to happen. And finally, serving is able to be done without talk or title. 
Oh, I can't do that. I'm not a, technically a deacon. Knock it off. Serve. <laughs> Simple. First Peter 4.10. Jot this down. Once again, just the word ministry and deed ministry. You, church, are gifted around word and deed ministry. That brings me to my second point of what you are supposed to do, and that is to swim in your lane. There's a whole sermon on this online somewhere. I didn't go take the time to go look it up. But the idea is this. Physical needs and spiritual needs are there. You are more observant to spiritual word and physical deed kinds of things. You see those things. You go, why is no one doing anything? That might be you're gifted and have a heart to stepping in and doing those ministries. I leave you with Colossians 3.17. You can jot it down, but there you see word and deed. No matter what you do, do it in the name of Jesus. God, thank you for gifting the church, for calling servants. Um, God, I thank you even for titles. Sometimes we tend to eschew titles and, and diminish them and think that that feels weird and worldly. It doesn't have to. In fact, it shouldn't. It should look the way you have designed it. We trust your leadership in this. In Jesus' name, amen.